Welcome back to Thinking About It. Uh, We are carrying on a conversation that uh, Dr. Dave Barker and I began last week, thinking about how the church navigates um, an increasingly political uh, climate where we're being drawn into matters that are just uh, outside of our proclamation of the gospel, calling people to repentance. And so, Dave, there are theological systems that um, explain and sometimes justify uh, some of the activities that we're talking about right now and uh, sounding the alarm, really, because uh, there are, obviously, um, Satan wants to distract the church from what God has called us to do, and we're always vigilant about that. And so I think we need to think critically about um, well-meaning intentions to do good in our society, but at the same time uh, miss the point. And so... Um, what's the word, what's the name for the theological system that um, drives what it is we're talking about right now? Yeah, um, some of our friends, and this is not new. This is not a new uh, way of thinking. It's been around for a long time, and some very fine theologians have embraced this. I think of Greg Bonson and uh, others like that. Um, I remember reading his book, but the the word is theonomy, and it's the theos, God, nomos, law, and kind of a sense of uh, the church's responsibility, a sense of responsibility to impose God's law on secular society. And postmillennialism argues that uh, through the mission of the church, it will eventually bring a, a world that has embraced the Christian faith, and then Christ can return. So it's post-millennial. It's, we establish the millennium as a church, and then Christ comes back at the end of the millennium. Um, but we do so through this process called theonomy, uh, theos, namas. And so, yeah, um, uh, there, there are theologians within evangelicalism and, and orthodoxy that would that would hold that hold that position. I remember back in the day when we were all premillennial, and we learned that they were all millennialists <laughs> who were good friends of ours, because even though they had this view of history, ones like T.T. Shields and others, um, who who said, "Well, this is how it will come about." will be evangelistic. And so you had these churches that were um, on fire for the gospel and they would proclaim, call people to repentance. And whereas the all-mill said, this is how the kingdom of God will come, premillennialists would say, no, we're going to be doing the same thing, but with a different expectation. And so we were working together side by side, oddly enough, because we were preaching the same message. And but I, I, I don't see that working today as much. Um, it just seems to me that there are uh, theological positions that separate mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. good people, and almost to the point where it becomes unworkable and sometimes an embarrassment to the unity that we're supposed to have. Yeah, and I think it is more probably with more to do with methodology than it does with theology. Um, I work with, I'm, I'm a premillennialist, um, but on our faculty at Heritage, we have all millennialists. Um, 
good friends and mm -hmm. I mean, by mm -hmm. all means, like Dr. Hausen is, in fact, I'm having lunch with him today. So mm -hmm. um, just good, good friend. We work very closely together. Uh, Dr. Fowler would fall into the world of a pre-millennial, but historic pre-mill. Yep. Um, uh, Dr. Reed would fall into the category of a dispensationalist. And frankly, there's so little difference there that we can mm -hmm. work together harmoniously. When it comes to postmillennialism uh, and especially theonomy, there's a really there's a it's a different in a difference in methodology and even a sense of outcome mm -hmm. that um, we have this responsibility to impose Christian law, God's law, and we we use political means to do so, economic means to do so, educational means to do so, uh, social structure means to do so, and. In the other categories of premillennial and all the all the bits and pieces of that and all millennialism, we really don't have that kind of methodology or even sense of of intent um, to to do that kind of thing for our society. Okay, but we'll still have Christian schools for sure, right? Because we're concerned about our the education of our own children. For sure, uh, we're not necessarily saying this is what the rest of our country needs. Uh, we should build a network of schools that will replace the public system. I don't think that's where a lot of us think, but I think that that's where we're being encouraged to think, to tear down the institutions that are present and replace them with ones that call people into a Christian lifestyle. And I think that's the, that's a point of departure where we say, no, that's not why we do what we do. Right. That's, and I struggle with, the whole business of um, imposing, if you like, a, a Christian worldview, a Christian, a Christian law, okay, biblical law, Christian law, on on people who are not regenerate, and and how does that work? We all know that it is the power of the Spirit that that allows us to to follow. Uh, right. But what, did you, you know, you know what would be said to that because law is always an imposition on people whose orientation is otherwise, right? That's why we have law. So we're, we're not strangers to that dynamic. But does the church get involved in that imposition, right? Or do we just influence that, that legislation process so that the outcome is more pleasing to God? Do you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, I, I mean, did, Jesus made it very clear. Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. And so he, he had a clear sense. And there, I don't get any sense in Jesus or Paul that they were out to somehow transform the Roman government into some kind of Christian world, Christian governmental system. I get no sense of that whatsoever. And... So what is the kingdom? What is the advancement of the kingdom then? I, my argument, my think is the advancement of the kingdom. Well, let's put it this way. I don't, I'm not even sure I like the word advancement. The kingdom of God actually pervades the world. It blankets the world. Christ has come. The kingdom has come near. The kingdom blankets the world. And our job is to go to every part of the world and... And, it, and it, we're talking about all Christians, okay? Mm -hmm. wherever, wherever they are, we, our task is to take, to, to go to every tongue, tribe, and nation and proclaim the reality of the kingdom of God 
that's already here, blanking, blanketing the world, that they can be part of it. They can be transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, which is already here. Jesus okay. brought it. Right. That's good We're point. not taking it anywhere. Yeah. And so um, we go to the far-flung corners of the world, and we think we've gone a long way. Well, when we get there, guess what? <laughs> There's people there. And right. some of them may actually already be believers and, and proclaiming the gospel and the kingdom of God. Now, there are places that have never heard. I understand that. But let's, let's be really careful. I think sometimes we're a little North American-centric when it comes to the nation, notion of advancing the kingdom of God. I, I'm, I'm much more interested okay. in proclaiming All right. the kingdom well, of God. That's a, that's a good point. Um, but you'd argue that there is a, an expansion of the gospel. The Apostle Paul strategized the yeah. spread of the gospel. Says, okay, I'm here. I'm done here. Now I'm going to go to Spain. We, we've got to go into all the nations with right. this message. Right. And uh, he was mindful of territory, if you will, sure. that was being established. And so, But you're saying... As true as that is, there's also a sense in which the kingdom already is here. It's universal. Uh, people need to deal with that, to yeah, enter into and it. invite people to be part of it. Yeah. It's, it's already here. Uh, the Spirit of God is available. The conversion work of the Spirit is, is already here. We brought nothing, right? This, God is active throughout Okay, so the what world. do you say to people who say, well, it doesn't look very good? In terms if of... This, if, this, if the kingdom of God has come... Um, it's not looking very good. Yeah. Well, and of course, and you asked that question of our, our post-millennial friends, and I, I find it interesting that, you know, we had asked, because they believe that the, the world is going to be converted through um, the influence of the church, and you ask them, well, how's it going? Mm-hmm. And um, one of our friends who we we had a little chat with one time, well, he says, I'm just the same as you guys, you know, as an all-millennial. I'm just a little bit more optimistic. Well, and, you know, I thought, okay, that, that's kind of a interesting way to respond. But it's respond. still a long time coming. You it know? is. How many years happening. can you be optimistic? not happening. Right. And, I, you know what, we're going to be faithful in the midst of a world that I think in many ways is growing darker and darker all the time. But as the night grows darker, the, the light gets brighter, and the church needs to be clearly identified as the the voice of the kingdom of God inviting people to be part of it all. And I think that's a good point because as iniquity abounds and the dark sky is pitch black, that's when the gospel shines the brightest. And so it may be that that's the way it continues to the end. In fact, I think it will. So Dave, you mentioned off off the air about a famous uh, theologian who is respected by everybody who had a really helpful way of looking at this. Do you just want to bring that up? Uh, we talk Jonathan about Edwards? Jonathan Edwards, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah Jonathan Edwards was a post-millennialist. Uh, that catches a few people by surprise, but he, did, he believed in that we will eventually bring in the kingdom to prepare the way for Christ uh, to come at the end of the millennial kingdom. But... How would he see that he happening? Would argue, he argued that that would come through conversion. Not through... Political action... Um, you know, taking over societal structures, education, economic, social structures. He believed that it was going to come through evangelism and that eventually the gospel would, in fact, uh, so pervade our world and conversion would so pervade our world that we would prepare the way for Christ to return and rule into the new heavens and new earth. 
So people who want to see our culture transformed would be better off focusing on evangelism than entering into those structures with an agenda to, from the top down, transform them. I certainly think that way, uh, for sure. Um, I am I'm a strong believer in the regenerative work of the Holy Spirit. And to impose law on people who do not have the presence of the Spirit in their lives, first of all, it's, it's oppressive in that sense because they don't have the resources to actually embrace this. And secondly, ineffective. Right. Because if the people are not truly regenerate and we are asking them to follow God's law, well, as soon as you lift that kind of blanket a little bit, it's just going to all revert back to what it already was. Okay, so what would happen if we've got a municipal election, school boards are being formed? What would happen if a number of Christians ran, or should they, and say, that's where decisions are being made. Um, let's run for office. Let's, let's get in on that, and uh, let's... Let's make decisions that are right. Is that a step in the wrong direction? Is that imposing? Is that, are we supposed to do that kind of thing? I think that we're supposed to be salt and light. We're supposed to bring, do good to all people. We're to bring good and gospel and God into our culture and society. So, f- sure, uh, if we can elect Christian politicians or we can elect uh, Christian school board members, um, they at least will have a voice mm-hmm. of what we would consider to be morally appropriate, right. ethically appropriate, uh, relationally appropriate, and that kind of thing. But we would, we would agree that this is something that is done at the individual level of a Christian at the church is not to organize itself in such a way as to endorse candidates or, or, or confront uh, these institutions. Yeah, I think we need to be careful. Uh, I, I think that maybe the, you know, a pastor can stand in front of his congregation and kind of mm-hmm. lay out what various political parties stand for or don't stand for. Um, but I really don't think we should be saying you must vote a partic- for a particular candidate or party. Mm-hmm. I, I, I know I kept reminding our pastor uh, in another church Please remember, you've got all four colors in your congregation. Mm-hmm. You've mm-hmm. got f- all four and maybe a few more. Mm-hmm. And you need to be a pastor to all those people. Yeah. And, and to put a particular color sign on your front lawn mm-hmm. may, in fact, limit your ability to shape the life of your church. Have you put a sign on your lawn before? No. Uh, the, only, the only possibility, the only time we almost put signs on our lawn was when my, all my kids were home and they were in high school and university we had all four parties represented really? around the dinner table. Okay. And we actually said, we're going to get all four signs so cool. and put them on our front yeah. lawn. We never did. All right. Well, that's safe. Okay, Dave, uh, we're out of time. We might get some uh, feedback on this uh, uh, from our questions because I think we have opened up uh, a conversation that I think a lot of people will ask, and we might respond to that next time. But uh, it does, it does uh, it's, it's on us to remind our people that God has called us uh, to be disciples, to make disciples, to train people, to live for God in the world that is hostile to us without taking on the tone uh, of the world. And uh, we were going to spend some time talking about that tone uh, that we are to use when we're dealing with controversies in the church. And maybe we'll get to that next time. So until then, 
Thanks for listening to us as we think about it. Bob McGregor and Dave Barker. We'll see you next time. 